Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Indeed, here I am, and the buzz today is ready, set, wait, what? Oh, come on. You know what I'm talking about. You're a woman entrepreneur, and you're getting ready to start a new business or expand your business. This is exciting. But what comes next? Well, we have a newsflash for you. While women are the fastest growing segment of U.S. business owners, and that's a good thing, we, I'll say we because my panelists and I are all females, we tend to have smaller companies. We tend to generate less revenue. I'm lowering my voice because it's getting sadder. And we tend to employ fewer people than male business owners. Why is this? We have the energy. We have the brains. We have the passion. We have the motivation. We have the persistence and the scrappiness and the savvy. What's going on here? Well, Hate to break the news, but it could be one or many of several factors. You could have what we used to call, and apparently still do, a fear of success. That could be an issue. You could be a little short-sighted on your planning and not see far enough ahead into the future. Your business processes eh, may not be as strong as they need to be to support this great business vision you have. And your leadership, well, you might be a little insecure about bossing people around or having to tell people what to do. I don't know. It could be any or all of the above. So give us the next hour and we are going to share insights and strategies with you from three remarkably successful women business owners. They're entrepreneurs, they're visionaries, they're smart. We've had them on the show before. Couldn't wait to get them back, and here we are. So you will learn the critical factors holding women back. Maybe they apply to you, maybe they don't. Maybe you're not ready to start a business, but you want to know this information because one day you just might get that little buzz in your head that says, I don't want to work for someone else. I want my own company. Well, why not? By the way, Men, if you're listening, don't hang up. Don't dial off. You may find some great business insights here, too. So it's time to introduce my panelists. First up, I'm delighted to welcome back Jane Westman. If you're looking for her, it's W-E-S-M-A-N. She is the founder, owner, and smart person in charge of Jane Westman Public Relations, Inc., and Jane has sent me a Westman original. Be flexible and recognize that business problems don't always have clear-cut solutions. That's a quote from Jane. Welcome back, Jane Westman. How are you today? I'm great. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. Always a pleasure speaking with you. I'm in touch with you and your company. You're sending me some interesting authors from my other radio show, and that's always exciting. So, Jane, this is an interesting quote. Um, Recognize that business problems don't always have clear-cut solutions. Is that meant to confuse or to prepare people to be ready that it may not be a straight line from A to Z? Talk to me. I, I think what, what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of gr- there are a lot of gray areas in business, and uh, especially when the problem or the issue revolves around people. Um, perhaps in manufacturing, you know, there's a clear-cut solution that, that the machine wasn't set properly. But when, when you're dealing with people problems or people situations, and most of business does come down to people, relationships, and what people do, um, you need to be able to look at the situation or the problem from various perspectives and through different lenses. And I, and I think that the difficult thing 
for women in particular, is dealing with this kind of gray area of that it's not black and white, it's not yes or no, and that what you as the entrepreneur or the leader believe may or may not be the exact solution. So I'm saying it's important to be decisive and to be able to make decisions, but you need to gather information and look at the situation from as many different perspectives as possible. Jane, how realistic is this for a a woman, I won't say young woman, I'll say a woman who is young to the world of entrepreneurship, meaning a newbie. How how difficult is this when you're trying to put a business plan and raise funding and figure where you're going to have your home base and what your product or service is going to be? How flexible can you be from the start when you need to put something in stone? What do you think? Well, I think it depends on the situation. So you mentioned, you know, should you work from home or should you have an office? Situation like that, I think, is based on what you feel like doing and, and what you're, you have to look deep into yourself and figure out what your commitment is and what you want to do. But other situations need what I call a board of advisors. You cannot launch a business on your own. You need other people to help you, whether it's your lawyer, an accountant, um, whether it's your informal board of advisors, people who you can turn to for advice. So uh, an entrepreneur should never be solo. An Mm -hmm. entrepreneur always needs a team around her, whether these are paid advisors, uh, volunteers who want to help you, um, or your employees. You're never alone. So I don't think it's difficult to get other people's perspectives. Okay. Thank you very much. And flexible is a keyword we're going to come back to frequently during the show. Thank you, Jane, and welcome back. And let's turn to our second returning panelist. She is Sandy Webster, spells her first name S-A-N-D-I if you want to look her up. she Her company is Consultants2Go, 2 is the numeral 2, and you can abbreviate it C2G. And Sandy has chosen an opening quote from the recently departed Yogi Berra, who is very popular on all of our shows when our panelists send us quotes. So this is a classic. It ain't over till it's over. Sandy Webster, we're talking about starting, not finishing, not over. So welcome back, Sandy. How are you today? Thank you. I am well. I really, I really resonate with all the stuff that Yoga Bear said. I think he was a very smart guy. He used his, I guess, uh, understated manner in such a positive way. And this quote is resonating particularly with me right now at the end of year because it's a very positive thing to say. And if you're a salesperson, you've got to have a positive attitude about your business. It's the end of year. We're always saying we're not going to make our goals if you're in that position. And it's, it's November. It sounds negative at the end of year. But Mm -hmm. it really isn't over until it's over, until December 31. And I was talking to my team the other day about when we first started out in business, and for the first couple of years we were, you know, hovering at around $350,000. And in October, at the end of October, we said, let's just go all out. Let's do whatever we can because our goal for that year was to break the million-dollar mark. And in, at the end of October, I think it was Halloween, as a matter of fact, 
we were like, oh, God, this is such a mountain to overcome. We're at $350,000. Well, I tell you what, we sat down and we put a plan together, and by December 31, we were over the million-dollar mark. So it was really never over until, you know, again, the fat lady sings. <laughs> however you want to use that. There's there's Yogi. He has to stop talking about fat ladies. That's so interesting. (laughs) Sandy, Sandy, you have just shared so much in in how you explained why you picked the quote. It ain't over till it's over. You're absolutely right. We are at year end. We are in Q4, and so many businesses are looking in that dreaded closing the books on the fiscal year if it ends on December 31st. And you're saying, stop, look, and listen. A day is a day. A week is a week. A month is a month for goodness sake just keep i love it i love it and and that goes back to the part of jane westman's quote a minute ago on being flexible flexible is don't follow the herd that is panicking and going into omg do or die mode keep your mind open every day is part of your business i love it i love it you just have to stop bonnie you just have to take a breath and stop and go back to your game plan and look at very, very simple things that you could execute towards the end of year. And that's what we did. And our very simple thing was just to go ask people for our money. It was that simple. We had outstandings and people weren't paying us. And we just picked up the phone and said, we want our money. And surprisingly, they paid us. Well, it's the way you asked, Sandy, and that'll be part of our discussion when we get into the roundtable. I love it. We've already got great advice, and we're going to add to these voices on the panel. Nina Kaufman Esquire. She is an entrepreneur.com legal expert and the askthebusinesslawyer.com person. And Nina has sent me an interesting quote from Henry Ford right along the lines. We've been already speaking with Jane and Sandy. Here's a great, great, a great quote to remember. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. (laughs) This is, I think, a self-fulfilling prophecy we're talking about. Nina Kaufman, welcome back, completing our triumvirate of powerful women entrepreneurs. How are you, Nina? I am great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on the show. We wouldn't wouldn't have dreamed of having it without you. Tell me, Henry Ford, founder of Ford Motor Company, sponsor of the development of the assembly line technique of mass production, American industrialist all-around success. Uh, What would Henry say if he knew you were quoting him on a show about women business entrepreneurs today? Nina? Yeah, you know, I'm not exactly sure about his track record with women, so... (laughs) From that part, I don't know, but uh, I I think he would be really proud. You know, business is the ultimate creative endeavor in that it can be as large or as small as you want. And to to pick up on something Jane said, it really is about your vision and where you want to take it. And and I thought about that quote, especially as we're doing the show on Veterans Day, and I I really just want to Mm -hmm. say thank you for for all of those who who have served and are serving in our armed forces because their determination – is an amazing role model. Uh, I mean, if you think about uh, the troops in the field and what it takes to be part of a well-functioning unit, any deviation from the, yes, we're going to accomplish our mission, can harm the mission. And, and for many entrepreneurs getting started, it's their own mindset that gets in the way. I mean, mm-hmm. Sandy's example is, is a perfect one. Why are they sitting on receivables? Hello? 
because there was something at that time in her business that got in the way of having a better collection system, of saying, I'm entitled to that money, and I'm entitled to it now. So as we think about either starting a business or building a business, it is very often the, the resilience and the mindset of the business owner that determines how large, how small, how strong, how weak that business grows. And it really is up to us. Nina, do, do you think women still have, women in business still have a problem with asking for the money? And, and Sandy gave us a great example where apparently she and her team did up to the point where they said, what is going on? We have to make that ask and we have to do it the right way. What do you observe? You're, you're entrepreneur.com, askthebusinesslawyer.com. Do women still ask questions about dealing with money and, and their relationship to money, Nina? I think so. Um, I I do see that with a number of my clients in terms of uh, the the discomfort, for example, in asking for money up front, mm. or making sure that their payment terms are are disclosed and that they're not, at least for that time, deviating from them, so that they have a good system. And that's where, you know, sometimes sometimes you need some flexibility, as Jane pointed out, and then sometimes you need to. Uh, as, as Picasso said, you need to, to know the rules before you can break them. So mm-hmm. they aren't always as good about setting those rules in their business because, oh, but somebody else has a need or somebody else has a problem or somebody else has cash flow issues. At what time do you put yourself first? And I think that still is part of the um, culture around how we may be raising our, our women and our girls to some extent, be concerned with others, perhaps mm-hmm. more so than themselves. And, and uh, Nina, let me ask you one more question before I, I circle back to the other panelists and find out what you're all drinking today, because we want to know what <laughs> successful women love to drink when they're live on the radio with me. Uh, the question is, I, I mentioned self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, what about the prophecy that when you're forming a business, you're formulating, you're sharing your idea? Come on. I, I always think of the, the wonderful family dinner scene on Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck at the head of the table. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, I haven't yet heard what anybody say, especially his, his young teenage granddaughter who's growing up so fast in front of our eyes, say, I think she's played by Sammy Gale, say, hey, everybody, I want to start a business. What do you think? And I can imagine all of the, the cops and, and the lawyers around the table saying, are you serious? What are you talking about? You have to be in the XYZ industry. We're all in the law enforcement and all in the legal. I'm just making this up, of course. But the question is, uh, the old expression, don't let the turkeys get you down, or if you fly with the turkeys, (laughs) they'll get you down. So whether you think you can, getting back to Henry Ford's quote, or you think you can't, you're right. Let's change that, Nina. Question is whether your family, friends, and circle of influence think you can or think you can't they may be right. What about that influence? I'm just trying to get another business tip in here. What do you see? Well, I, I think that I, I would say start, start with yourself. Um, if this is what you want to do, that's where it is even more important. Uh, if you think, I just saw The Martian um, in, in the theaters mm-hmm. the other day. And when you think about the launch of a spacecraft, there is a lot of drag on that spacecraft to get past the atmosphere into outer space. So if you have a lot of drag in the form of family and friends 
who are not entrepreneurial, who don't understand why you have this, this creative bent or this need to create in this way, then you need to do, as Jane suggested, is get those outside advisors, find those people who have done what you want to do, and surround yourself with them so that through their propulsion and their inspiration, you are able to, to reach the direction that you want. Thank you very much. Jane or Sandy, any comments on what, yeah, what everybody I, else I, I want to say something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have two anecdotes from when I first started my business. Um, it was Thanksgiving when I, when, <laughs> when I wanted to – it was around Thanksgiving when I told my father I wanted to start a business. He told me, don't tell any of the relatives at dinner that you're starting a business. I said, why not? <laughs> he said, because if you fail, you'll be embarrassed, so don't tell anybody. So I'm sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table with all my aunts and uncles, my cousins, and they're saying, hey, Jane, what's new with your job? What's going on? Well, I had handed in my notice, and I was leaving my job in a month, starting a business, and I couldn't discuss it. And it just, I got gloomier and gloomier and gloomier at the dinner table until finally one of my favorite aunts just managed to get it out of me that I was starting a business. And everybody at the table was so excited for me. So I came from a family where my dad wasn't 100% sure I was going to succeed. Around the same time, I went to visit um, some friends of friends and um, they were very, very successful financially. And I was kind of impressed. Um, by some of the material stuff they had, like their Rolls Royce. And we went out to dinner, <laughs> and I'm sitting in the back of the Rolls Royce, and we're being driven to this restaurant, and um, my, my friend's father said to me, Jane, you're going to be very successful in your business. So here was an outsider who somehow understood what I was talking about, and I'll just never forget how good I felt when people encouraged me. So I stopped telling my dad about what was going on, and six months later when things were okay, I let him in on the secrets of my <laughs> you know, early business success. So that's my story. Surround yourself with positive, supportive people. Jane, I, that I is agree, such a Jane. wonderful. Go ahead, Sandy. What a great story. I'm thinking uh, Tom Selleck could have been your father in that scenario. <laughs> Go ahead, Sandy. What are you, what are you thinking, Sandy? No, well, I have a chapter in my book called, you know, that they're naysayers, beware of the naysayers. And Mm -hmm. the naysayers come from the most unlikeliest of places because the people you think in your family that should support you are the ones who are very invested in your success for a lot of different reasons. So my mom was someone who was, you know, she lives with me. She's always been proud that I was working in corporate America. And I started my business after 9-11, so there's a lot of activity going on around people losing their jobs. And I didn't recognize how important my having a job, uh, like a corporate job where you could Mm -hmm. say my daughter works for so-and-so, I didn't recognize the value of that to my family. And so when I decided to start my business, I was like, oh, gee, I'm going to start my business. And it was so exciting for me. And uh-huh. for, for my family, it was like, why wouldn't you go get another corporate job? You know, uh, you're not going to make the same amount of money in, in the same amount of time. You'll be starting from scratch. You've, you've gone to grad school. You've invested all this time to go get a job. 
And then the second thing that was a big naysayer was when I formed my business plan with my business partner, and we were sitting in a group with nothing but men. We were the only two women, and we we were excited, and everyone was sharing their business plan, and we said, we are going to have this business, and we are going to be like a $10 million company, and they all laughed. They literally laughed. Because it was, oh, gee, you little little woman, you know, that, that's such a grandiose plan. And there was another man who sat there and talked about growing his business. It was like, bravo, you could do it. And so we literally stood up and we, we, we said, we're going to leave this meeting because we, we believe we will make this and we'll get back to you when we reach the $10 million. So you have to have that positivity within yourself because... You're going to come across all kinds of people who are naysayers. And you have to push back and you have to have the confidence that you can do that. And that's a lot, what a lot of women lack, quite frankly. And, and that's why we're all here. And on our topic today, let me reiterate for our listeners, is success secrets for entrepreneurial women. And that's a broad topic, but it's so important for you to hear from my three experts. They are in the trenches, been there, not only done that, doing that, I believe, every single day. They're walking the walk, talking the talk, and doing what it takes to stay in business and stay successful. And now we're going to find out what our successful women entrepreneurs are drinking right now while they're on the air or what they're saving up for later after the show. Jane Westman, are you in New York today? I know it's a little gloomy I, yes. out. Uh, I am in yeah. New York, but I, and, but I am being flexible today. One of the great <laughs> things about running your own business is your flexibility about where you work. So today I had many conference calls all morning, and I am still at home. Therefore, I'm drinking a fabulous cup of coffee prepared by my husband, who is the coffee maker in our family. So hail and to my husband, Don. <laughs> hail to great coffee. Hail to Don, but we want to know, what kind of coffee is it, Jane? What did oh, he, he brew for you today? Starbucks, but he has a special secret way of you know, grinding the beans and how, how he what he does with the water and how he keeps the coffee maker clean. It's very intricate, and I am not allowed near the coffee maker. Well, <laughs> the coffee maker or the coffee maker, okay. Well, we are eager one day, maybe Don will share, come on the radio and share his coffee-making success stories. Because but if notice his co- how I've married a man who takes <laughs> good care of me and makes That's sure it. I am well-fed and well-caffeinated. There you go. I like the caffeinated part. Thank you very much. <laughs> fed, we, fed we can always do on our own, but having somebody lovingly give you that caffeine that keeps you fueled all day, that's a special gift. Thank you very much, Jane. Sandy Webster, where are you calling from today and what are you drinking, please? I'm also uh, calling from home, working from home today in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, okay. And it is a little gloomy out, but, you know, that's just part of this time of year. That's how I that's look right. at it. I am drinking water, and I'm drinking water because it's on my calendar to drink water because I don't drink enough water. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're doing success secrets for entrepreneurial women well, today. that's one of my secrets. You, that's what put, I'm getting at. Everything you, I need to do on my calendar include drinking water. Sandy, that's, that's amazing. It's so simple. It's so obvious and probably so overlooked 
by most of us. Put it on your calendar. So do you have an amount of water you will put on your calendar, like drink three glasses today or six or, or two gallons? Or how, how do you do it? Just I drink water? I have it on my calendar three times a day. So I try to drink at least one glass when I get up before I start doing anything. Because I'm horrible at drinking water. I don't like water, and, and I trick myself into drinking water. <laughs> and at lunch, I put drink another glass. And usually I, I get to two glasses. I drink one plain one and one flavored one to trick myself that it's juice. And then <laughs> in the evening, I also put drink another glass. But eventually, if I can get five glasses of water in, I'm happy. Well, I think your body's probably happy too. Sandy, what's your flavor of the day in terms of your daytime flavored water? What do you, what do you put in it? It's pomegranate, blackberry pomegranate is my my flavor water nice we're finding out a lot about our panelists and <laughs> so let's find out what nina kaufman where are, are you in new york too is this i a, am a, i am well you that, called us a triumvirate and we are a new york triumvirate so i'm and you got Central me area. i'm in i'm in new york too so we got four of us we're a, ah. we're a quartet we're the new york quartet so go ahead oh. nina where where in new york and what are you drinking uh i'm i'm in the grand central area and i am drinking a wonderful herbal tonic called Ionix Supreme, I-O-N-I-X. And one of the reasons I love it is it really helps me with mental clarity because sometimes you wake up in the morning, especially if you hadn't had enough sleep or maybe you drank some of those other things, a little too much of those the night before um, that we usually don't mention on a morning show. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so it really does help me think clearly. It helps also um, battle the effects of physical stress. Because uh, I did get to my spin class this morning, so um, oh, it also helps my my body just stay in, in a in a good stasis place. Because entrepreneurship is stressful in general, and it's really nice to be putting something into my body that's healthy every day, that's herbal, that's not caffeinated, and uh, it is a mix of, of minerals and vitamins and plants. Very good to know. Thank you very much. And as you may remember, they don't let Bonnie have caffeinated beverages on radio <laughs> show days. And today and yesterday are both double headers. I'm on the air twice on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So it's cool, clear, filtered water. And I gave up on the green straw. We're doing a yellow straw now. And Sandy, the yellow straw is the sunshine that's not in the New York sky. So I brought my own sunshine to the that glass. There cute. you go. That's nice. There you go. It happened to be the next straw coming out of the box, but besides that, I thought it would represent sunshine. So I'm entrepreneurial. I can make it up as I go along. We are talking, we're already deep into our conversation. Even though we didn't start the roundtable officially, we're going around the table getting great success secrets from entrepreneurial women for entrepreneurs, especially women. I'll phrase it that way. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Very delighted to be speaking today with Jane Westman. Sandy Webster and Nina Kaufman, and we'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. 
By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We took our quick coffee break, and we're back with Jane Westman, Sandy Webster, and Nina Kaufman. And you can, if you want to have any questions or comments, I'm looking right now at the Twitter feed at hashtag SAP Radio. We've already had some great business startup and business success stories from my three extraordinarily successful and extraordinarily smart panelists. So, Jane Westman is going to help me start the roundtable in earnest. I used to say in earnest, and my mother used to say, are you sincere? Yes, okay, we'll let her have that one. Clever. <laughs> and Jane, let's talk about, uh, you say you want to focus on entrepreneurial leadership and motivating employees. Very important if you want to grow a company. Let me just drop a few key words here out of your notes, and then you can run with it. You talk about communicating. Make sure your employees know what you expect of them. Train them. Take the time to train them. And then give them great feedback, banish fear, another important one, and create a workplace that's, I'll just say, great. And we'll let Jane run with that. So, Jane, what are we talking about? Um, well, what we're talking about, it, it goes back to this whole idea that being an entrepreneur is not about doing this business, running this business on your own. It's about working with other people. You cannot succeed unless it's a team effort. So in order to motivate employees, you really need to begin right at the hiring process in which you're looking for employees that are going to fit well with your culture and who can get the job done. And the way to find those employees is to make sure that you are very clear about what the job is. So motivating employees starts right there uh, when you're interviewing people, when you're doing the hiring. When they come and work for you, you really need a training process. You cannot expect people to come right into your business and sit down and get to work. Even somebody who, with experience who's a professional, you need to have a process uh, in which, which, is, which is repeatable in which people understand what it is that you're looking for. And you have to be very clear about how your systems work, what you want your employee to do, and what the goals are. Jane, when people are looking for a job and they hear about an exciting startup and they want to do follow the leader, a real leader like you, Sandy, Nina, 
Is it possible that somebody would say yes, yes, yes to you just to get the job, but they really aren't embracing your values? They really aren't going to play ball in the field the way you expect them to? Yeah. Is that possible? Well, yeah, Bonnie, of course that, that happens. But I, but I think that's a whole other um, hour conversation <laughs> about how to hire employees. I think we need to, to assume that you're choosing people who can do the job, and then you need to bring them into your workplace and recognize that they want to do a good job. One of the problems I've seen in small businesses is the uh, business owner starts to think that that people are making mistakes on purpose, and they don't Mm. understand that people really want to do a good job. They're not out to, they're not making mistakes because it's fun. They're not making mistakes because mm-hmm. they want to spite you, but they're usually making mistakes because they don't have the proper tools or information to do a good job. So it's up to the business owner to provide the proper tools and the proper training. The, the other thing that, that I talk about is uh, uh, creating an atmosphere in which you banish You need to have employees who can speak up. They are the frontline people who are doing the job, whether they're working directly with your clients or customers or they're they're involved in, you know, some behind-the-scenes process. They are the people who know on a day-to-day basis what's going right and what's going wrong. And you need a culture and atmosphere where people are not fearful of speaking up and telling you that they need help, they're having a problem, because the earlier you find this out, the the sooner you can solve the problem, the sooner you can fix it. Thank you. I have to get Sandy Webster in here. Sandy, what do you think about what Jane shared? Agree, disagree? Talk to me. Do we have Sandy? I'm sorry. That's okay, I was dear. Talk, talking to myself. <laughs> That's always fun. I enjoy myself. Go ahead. <laughs> I agree with what Jane says, but the execution of what Jane says uh, can be difficult. So it's a lot harder to, to have people not be fearful, especially when they're listening to the boss and the boss has, you know, very lofty or what they consider very lofty goals, and they might know that, they might not be able to meet those goals. And so people are always fearful about their job. It's, it's creating a culture of, of not being fearful is so difficult, and I've tried that in my own organization. Unfortunately, I have a lot of type A personalities in my organization, <laughs> so speaking up is, is not a problem. But even for them, sometimes I get dead silence when, when I say something, and I know, the silence speaks volumes, right? It's really saying, I'm thinking about how I should say this to you, or I'm, I might, might want to say it to you one-on-one, but I don't want to say it in, like, a public atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so she's right. That culture of fear is really difficult. But back to the, the part about training and process, so what happens when someone leaves your organization and you don't have a process in place, even if you train them to the end, if you don't have it written down, 
you lose a lot. Your organization just lose a lot of intellectual capital. And this happened to me recently where, you know, my clients are moving so fast and they are changing their own processes and we have to be flexible and adapt to that. And I had a lead person who left my organization. Well, I only realized how outdated my, my playbook. I have a, a sales playbook that we write down all our processes and all that goes on. But after that person left, I realized how outdated our playbook was. And this is something we keep like maybe twice a year we review. But all my people are trained. But you can possibly train them in every single thing. And you can get things out of their heads fast enough to write it down. But smaller businesses, especially like ours, when one person leaves, it's detrimental to your business. And you don't want to start over from scratch. You should have something where your employees can pick it up and say, okay, this is step one. This is step two. It might not be a process that I know, but following something that's written down, here's the password for this. I mean, these things are so important when you have a smaller business. And it takes away some of that fear, too, just by having it in writing. So I agree with with what Jane says. It's just very hard to execute. Necessary, but hard. I have to say that I had the exact Mm -hmm. experience that you described yesterday in, in which I was speaking with one of my employees who's worked with me for 10 years. And I asked her a question, and she was dead silent, and she (laughs) didn't answer. And it took me a while to figure out that she was trying to figure out what I wanted to hear. It it actually made me laugh once I realized that that this person who's worked for me for so long and who I'm very, very close to had had this the same experience that you were talking about where even though I try so hard to let people who work for me speak up she really was trying to psych me out and figure out <laughs> oh do I say yes or no to this what you know what's the right answer thank you Jane Nina Calvin we got to get you in on this uh, this talk fest here what do you observe about what Jane started to talk about well I I, I think Jane is right and I, I believe it also applies with a lot of my clients are they maybe maybe they're hiring employees but they're doing a lot of work with independent contractors and i think some of these mm. same things apply in terms of being very clear about your communication but also welcoming feedback uh, i had a situation recently in redesigning my website where i was very clear about what i wanted and the person i delegated this to was very eager to to be supportive and to fulfill all my requests uh, the thing is, when it comes to redesigning and rebuilding my website, I'm an idiot. I'm not the one who should be doing this. So it's, you know, I, there, that was my failing in a way because I also didn't encourage the pushback so that she could rely on her expertise and, and I could encourage her to do that and say, you know what, Nina, I know you want to have this on the navigation bar, but I think it's going to make it 12 clicks for the client to get to what they need instead of two. And so, you know, I put something up and we're in the process of redoing it be- precisely because, and even though this was an independent contractor, I hadn't established 
that, that good groundwork in terms of communication. So, so there is a lot involved in terms of uh, understanding, as Jane said, that people want to do a good job, but also even if you are delegating this to, to someone who's outsourced an independent contractor, really allowing them to provide the feedback that comes from their own expertise. And that's part of where they'll get more ownership in your project and, and feel more excited about contributing and participating. Thank you, know, you Nina. Nina I was thinking as oh, you were ahead, talking Sadie. that one thing that I've done is remove myself from a lot of meetings because they're, mm. I think they're more honest in meetings when it's just them and the boss is not in that meeting. They really say more what they feel and what they mean and what they would like. And then I read the, the minutes from that meeting and go, oh, they'd never say this to me, but here it is. Wow. What they wow, really that... want. And it's much more powerful than, than showing up, and, and it's like an, an inact, a passive listening device for me. So I get all the feedback that I need, but not to my face, because they probably would never give it to me if, if, I, they were sitting, if I was sitting there with them. Sandy, this is Bonnie. Quick question. Who's taking the minutes, and what are the rules for them in terms of verbatim commentary, verbatim recording of what happened in that meeting? How do you manage that? Sure. So one of our junior analysts takes the, the, mostly the minutes, or they just write down the key takeaways, it's not verbatim, so they're not saying every single word, but key decisions, things that we need to follow up on, who's going to do it. One of our junior people usually takes that note and then sends it back. What were the things we discussed? What were the options? And this was our decision. And then they send it out so that if, even if you were not at the meeting, you'd get a good idea of what was discussed or if there's a deliverable for me from that meeting. Uh, they want to talk to me about something, then I have a heads up on that. And it's been very effective. I got that from the Rockefeller Habits. Mm-hmm. We tend to run our business a little bit on the Rockefeller Habits uh, book, and, is, and it's been great. Sandy, what is Rockefeller Habits? I'm, I, I'm not familiar with that, so what are you talking about? Well, Rockefeller Habits is a book that helps. It's really calling called um, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish. And what Vern does is give business owners, small and and mid-sized, people who are in the growth phase, kind of templates on on how to effectively grow and manage your business. And one of the key things he talked about was structuring your meetings, having an agenda when you have a meeting, taking minutes from your meetings. It, It... it talks about uh, everything from deciding on who's the scribe for your meetings, how long each topic should be, and really starting and ending your meetings on time, only having necessary meetings and not just meetings for meet- meetings' sake. But it really helps. I mean, there are things you can take away from, from that book that you could execute, and there are other things you might say don't work so well. One of the things that don't work really well for us and we're working on is having a daily huddle kind of meeting at the beginning of the day, just saying, this is what I'm trying to achieve for, the, for today. But my organization is so spread out that it, we all can't get on a call. Maybe if I'm in a, an office environment, we can all huddle around the water cooler for five minutes. 
but I'm still mm-hmm. working on that. But it's an excellent book in terms of how to grow and run your business effectively. Sandy, thank you. I just Googled it, and I came up with the following a note here from Barnes & Noble. They say, it's been over a decade since Mastering the Rockefeller Habits was first released, and it has now been replaced by Vern Harnish's new book, Scaling Up, How a yeah. Few Companies Make It and Why the Rest Don't. I'm going to put a link into our tweet here. So the wonderful reference. Thank you very much. And Sandy, speaking of you, I'm looking at your notes because we've got to move this ahead. I'm almost, we're about six minutes away from our predictions round. I want to cover a little more territory here. Uh, Let's talk about if you have a business partner strategy. Do you talk about it? Who's in charge? Who's running the show? What is your point of view? What is your expertise, Sandy, in terms of should you take a business partner from the get-go or wait till later till the business grows? Why don't you give us a little strategy on business partners and then we'll find out from Nina and Jane what they think. Go ahead. I think it's, it's very different for each person. For us, we wanted a business partner from the get-go because this business that we were running, we knew we needed bandwidth, and one person was not enough to cover all the different things we needed to do. We started a consulting company, and it's a marketing consulting company, and we were the ones who were going out to different clients, and one person doing that just was not going to cut it. And it also took a lot of the stress off us as to decision-making because we had someone to talk it over with. Now, I've seen people who had business partners from hell, and Mm -hmm. thankfully that's not one of mine. But for us, having a business partner worked really, really well. I I can't say for other people that's a decision you have to make independently. Thank you, Sandy. I want to get Nina Kaufman's POV on this because she's our Uh our legal expert here. Nina, how complicated is it to take a partner? Should you do it from the beginning, wait, or never, ever, ever? What do you observe? Well, the the short and obvious answer is it depends. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a business partner situation. I've had a business partner for over a decade, and it was one of those where when it started off, it was great, and when it ended, it was disastrous. Um, so navigating that shift, what happens midstream when the two business partners stop being in alignment with each other? What do you do? What kind of communications processes do you have in place? Um, do you have the right legal documents in place? And, and so there, there is a lot. I like to, to say bringing on or getting rid of a business partner, uh, it's not like you know, throwing out an old blouse. It's actually like uprooting a tree once you mm. want to get rid of them. So or a divorce. Unless there's something... A divorce I, or worse. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and I, I wrote a book called The Entrepreneur's Prenup, which is uh, on my website, uh, the Ask the Business Lawyer website. And it's, it's all about really making sure that you're walking into a business partnership with open eyes. There are a lot of questions to ask that very often people don't, like they sometimes don't in marriages, because, oh, they're so excited to have somebody on the journey with them. Well, that's not all it's about. It's also about Mm. the business. It's about whether or not that business partner is truly bringing enough additional competitive advantage that you couldn't get by hiring an employee or bringing on somebody else. It's not just another pair of hands to get the work done. Because there's there's an old expression, if uh, two of you are in a business and you agree on everything, one of you is redundant. Very true. (laughs) 
Having a business uh, partner, I can tell you that. We have very complementary skills, but it's right. not the same skills. Mm-hmm. Jane Westman, got to get your three cents or ten cents in on this one. Have you ever had a business partner, do you? And what do you think um, about what Sandy and Nina said? I, I started my business on my own, and what I worked out was about uh, two years into my business, I found an, emplo- an employee who was fabulous, and she worked as my employee, but she was my total confidant, and we worked together for about 20 years. And and she knew everything that was going on in the business, and she was, I was, she made a lot of money with me. I was, um, she knew exactly what our profit margins were, you know, how much I was making, how much she was making, and we divided our responsibilities in, so that she was actually running the day-to-day operations of the company, overseeing the work that all of our publicists were doing, and I was the person who spent a lot of time going out and finding new business, creating the strategies for the, the marketing campaigns that we created for our clients, and I oversaw all of the um, accounting, cash flow, uh, money and investing issues because we built a very large profit sharing plan for our our company and I spent a lot of time um, investing that money and building it and so we worked together like partners for a long time but I have to say that it still was my business so there was that kind of employee employer relationship underneath it all and um, a few years ago uh, because of some personal issues with with her son's health, she had to leave my company, which meant that I actually had to create a new business model after she left because she was such an integral part of of how my company worked. She was great. It was really wonderful working with her. Mm, sounds like something very good as long as it lasted, and I think that's another going back to your flexible, be flexible comment at the opening of the show. Thank you, Jane. Nina, we are just about at the time for our predictions round, but I have one comment here from your notes that I really would like you to just address for one minute if you don't mind. Avoid deadbeat clients and customers. How do you know when to consider them deadbeat? And Sandy shared that she simply wasn't asking or asking in the right way for the money when she did. The money came. She had earned it, it was time to pay up. So how do you avoid deadbeat clients and customers? Quickly, Nina? Okay. All right. in, in a nutshell, because this really is a, a great subject for, for a longer topic, um, the, the best way to avoid them is not taking them on in the first place. And the way you do that is being really crystal clear about knowing who you want to serve, what you can profitably charge them, what you're mm-hmm. offering, and how you need to get paid. So that means a lot of sort of pre-thinking in advance on your part about your, your clients, your offerings, your price points, and what you will tolerate. So um, another part of that is also be very clear about your terms when it comes to offering your product or service, and that means having it in writing in some ways so that people can see so that they understand mm-hmm. what they have the right to expect, when they can expect it, and when you need to get paid. Um, and, and another piece is yep. also in the follow-up. You know, you've heard that expression, the fortune is in the follow-up, which they mm-hmm. often use in terms of marketing. Well, the same thing happens with your business. If you're not going to get paid in advance, you do not want to become a bank for your client mm-hmm. because every day that you've got an unpaid invoice is a day that 
your client is holding on to its money interest-free, and it's not in your pocket. So you also want to think through it's a two-step process, both what will you charge the client, how are you going to bring them in, and then what's your follow-up going to be the minute that bill is not paid and is late. And that's your collection process. Thank you very much. Uh, Just a quick side note. I've noticed when I was uh, doing some independent graphic design and some uh, marketing writing, talking to people locally in my community, and you all know I'm on the North Shore of Long Island, enough said there, uh, contacting people I know who needed something done. The comment was, but Bonnie, we know you. You're our friend. We, we've been to dinner together. You're going to charge me? We've never had to pay for this before. Well, let's just with something we just do. So I would advise stay away from that as your startup because you ain't going to get anywhere and they either won't pay or they don't want to simply. And we'll just let that one alone. Ladies, we need to get you back for part three. This is way yeah. too much information for one hour <laughs> show. I think we all agree on that, our quartet of New York ladies. Okay, Jane Westman, I'm going to give you, oh, let's see, what do we have left? Just and said three minutes to close. Jane Westman, let's do predictions a little differently today. Uh, you know I like the year 2020. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Look in the crystal ball, Jane Westman. And tell me in three sentences, your top three predictions for some point in the future, if not 2020, what would be different about this conversation in terms of future success secrets for entrepreneurial women? Three sentences, predictions, Jane Westman, go. Women won't be fearful about speaking up and showing their leadership skills. Uh, and this will be based on a greater understanding of gender equality. Um, there are just uh, there are a lot of um, groups of people who are working globally to to help women get better educated and and to learn how to be better leaders. So my prediction is in 2020, women will be a much more powerful force in the business world than we've ever seen. I like it. I like it. Sandy Webster, top three or three sentences, predictions, go. Well, my prediction is the millennials will kind of take over the small business category. They're starting businesses at a phenomenal rate, and also because they don't know what they don't know, they don't have the experience yet, they're not as afraid to start a new business as a a tenured person. And so businesses in the future will look a little different. Even the types of businesses that they will start will be different in 2020. So that's exciting for me to watch. It's exciting to hear, too. Nina Kaufman, Esquire, three sentences. Go. Okay. Um, What I see is actually a greater use of what we call, starting to call a distributed workforce, where, uh, as Sandy said, you don't necessarily have people where you're physically looking over their shoulder, um, but you are collaborating with people, and I think that's also going to involve a greater comfort with technology platforms and collaboration platforms, Uh, and that technology is going to be far more integrated into uh, the world of small business, even more so than it is now. Uh, A flip side to that is that as people are going to be working more independently, they are also going to have to be a lot more responsible for things like their own health insurance and and other kinds of insurance and being uh, more savvy when it comes to their own personal financial management because there aren't the, the big companies to take care of that for them. 
Thank you very much, Nina. I have to do a shout-out to my colleague at the SAP News Services team, uh, a.k.a. Editorial Experience, Jackie Prouse, is listening. She is tweeting and saying, SAP Radio may bring back success, success secrets for entrepreneurial women, part three, great idea. And she calls me Radio Red 77, which is my alter ego. Thank you, Jackie. Jackie loves these shows. Jane Westman, what can I say? Sandy Webster, Nina Kaufman, Esquire, such a pleasure speaking with the three of you. I know how busy you are, and I'm so appreciative that you're sharing your insights and your savvy and your energy and all that wonderful power you bring to the table as women entrepreneurs. Let's talk again soon. I'll get you on for part three. Of course, I will. Shout out also to our engineer, Justin, at World Talk Radio for getting us on the air and keeping us there, and it's time for us to say goodbye. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back at 2 p.m. this afternoon with game-changing HR leaders presented by SAP and ASUG America's SAP Users Group. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. I hope it's a designer seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, especially if you're in a Rolls Royce. It must be a gorgeous seatbelt. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.